welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Hancock. I'm here with JJ and Kyle and Graham on his dial-up internet. How the hell are you guys doing? It's the greatest night ever, Jeff. Best day ever. Thumbs up all around for everybody, except the Wings, because they lost last night. But hey... They were they had won like four in a row. It was their first loss of twenty sixteen. Two and one since we last chatted. Thoughts on the game last night and everything since last week. Yeah, I think uh, it matter at the Red Wings for losing that game, but I think we all had it chalked up as a loss even yeah. before the Red Wings went on that four game win streak where it just like felt every game they got closer to deserving a loss. And it's like they just got to L.A. and they were tired and whatever, and they had Jimmy Howard play. And it's like, ah, screw it, they're going to lose. And they even made it a, a better game than they otherwise could have. So yeah. I think everybody's just kind of hoping. It's like, okay, well, there's your loss. Now you guys can stop playing like garbage maybe and uh, and go out in your next game and you know do well again. Yeah, I think that uh, the, the entire West Coast trip so far has been, even though, you know, they've only lost one game has been very uh, you know it's been the peter morazic show basically <laughs> i mean it's it's been pretty rough but um what matters is that they won games so um yeah i don't know last night was i i had already chalked last night up as a loss anyways uh, before we even started the trip so um they lost so that's okay yeah, I mean, considering how they've played in back-to-back so far this year, I mean, to be pretty competitive against a, a very good Kings team on the second half of a back-to-back, whatever. Yeah, it's funny because they came out of that game last night and they like were looking really, really good. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is sick. And then they just kind of farted a lot, and then you know, whatever. But yeah, I think uh, I, I think at this. At the end of the second, um, I think we were all kind of expecting, like, all right, the legs are gone. You know, L.A.'s just going to run him out of the building. And, um, I mean, L.A. scored. But then for the most of that period, Detroit was a better team. So I was. it sucks that they didn't get the goal to tie it up. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you don't really want to say there's moral victories. But I'm a lot better with how they played um, than some of their other losses on uh, those back-to-backs this year. Yeah, it was definitely a little yeah. bit more tolerable. Than... It wasn't a moral victory, but at least it wasn't a demoralizing loss. Yeah, they didn't lose 6 right. to nothing. Yeah. Well, speaking of demoralizing losses, uh, the Red Wings conveniently lost Drew Miller to a <laughs> torn meniscus, demoralizing to the penalty kill, of course, because he's the sole reason they were successful the previous two games before L.A. Um, but because he got hurt and put on a long-term IR... Kyle Quincy is now back. Uh, I mean, let's just dive into the whole salary cap shenanigans, convenient injury, seven defensemen. I mean, it's all on the table. I'm going to JJ first here just because <laughs> he seems to have the most off the top of his head knowledge of the CBA and how all that shit works. So try to explain it to people listening, to the common man, to dumb people who haven't read the giant ass legal document that is the NHL CBA. Uh, I will try, but I'm not sure that I can because I'm not sure how well I understand it. Uh, Elliot Friedman put in his 30 thoughts today, like uh, how can Ken Holland say they've got a, a $66 million cap, and then he says you need to go to Article 50.10, Part B, um, Illustration Number 4, and that explains it all. Um, illustration Number 4 essentially 
talks about you got um, if you got a guy starting the year on long term injured reserve uh, that puts you over the cap, and the Red Wings were over the cap; they were like at seventy two point six million or so. Um, then you know you can replace his salary, but you know when he comes back, you've got to get cap compliant, and apparently that's what stuck them with a with a sixty six million dollar cap. Um, nothing I've read about that makes sense. Uh, I've spoken with the guy who runs General Fanager a few times, and he can't make sense of it. Basically, nobody who understands the cap knows what the hell that means as far as timing. And if it if it is a case where it's like the timing of putting a guy on LTIR um, screwed up their cap situation so much that they had to put Drew Miller on on IR to get Quincy off. And that's the thing. It's like it doesn't make sense that. Because we originally thought it was a case of, uh, well, Ken Holland is just trying to get under the $71.4 million cap in order to avoid having bonus overages or maybe trying to bank a little bit of space before the um, the trade deadline. But if that was the case, then they wouldn't have needed to put Drew Miller on long-term injured reserve, and they wouldn't have needed to run the whole freaking circus that they did the other day on as far as doing that. So... If there's a definition of replaced salary, because essentially when a guy gets hurt and goes on long-term injured reserve, you can replace his ent- up to his entire cap hit with other players, um, even to the point where it puts you over the cap. So if there's a if there's a definition of replaced salary that says once that guy comes back, the people who were considered his replaced salary have to be shuffled around, like they can't just go back to being normal salary then that would make a reading where the Red Wings got stuck with $66 million. But I've never seen that, and nobody's nobody that knows anything about the cap has said that, other than that's what Ken Holland says. And, I mean, Ken Holland's lied to us before, so I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on. I guess I'll believe it when I see it, or if somebody can, can explain it to me fully, but I guess next year I'm going to have to spend way more attention to the, the daily transition or transactions to figure it out and uh yeah um cap geek (laughs) yeah i i honestly i when i think about it i mean i don't really know much about you know uh what would they call a capology (laughs) um so i can't really explain it to you all i know like from what i gathered out of all of this is that i am we are seeing ken holland starting to pay for what he's created basically and that's kind of a crappy situation in terms of cap with some of the bad contracts he's given out uh the kindle one um you know you 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 just look at contracts like um you know people want to say the applicator one but that one's not in play yet so um you know the erickson one uh, and all that stuff so i think it's just i don't know he's really really like riding a thin line right now um and it's just, it looks bad, you know, especially with like the Weiss contract and the buyout and um, yeah, and that's part of that what stuff. Friedman explains is that like essentially if they could have buried a few guy, a bunch of guys in the minors to uh, like at the, in the AHL right at the beginning of the season before they had to put Datsuk on IR, then this wouldn't be a problem, um, right? So even if it is a case where it's totally accurate that they 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 kind of got screwed by the timing of it all. It has to do with the way Ken Holland manages the cap. If it's true that they accidentally stuck themselves with this $66 million cap, 
then it's a factor of Ryan Martin not knowing the CBA that he's been, he's essentially been the capologist for a long time, which is a mistake, mm-hmm. and or Kenny Holland with getting them in the, the waiver situation that they are. So Yeah. Someone's not doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. I I I find it hard and I mean maybe this is just me being kind of naive, but I find it hard to believe that a team that employs Ryan Martin and countless other lawyers, accountants, um, financial wizards wouldn't have understood the cap implications of, you know, of, of what transpired with this cap number. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, see, I'm there too. I mean, I, 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 it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. How, how can a person, because I mean, if, if Elliot Friedman, who I respect immensely, um, is able to do some research, probably talk to some people, as I'm sure he did, and be able to come up with a, a plausible explanation as to why this this cap number is at 66 million um, within a couple of days. How is it possible that Ryan Martin and his team and, and others within the Wings organization couldn't have figured that out when this all went down? You know, at the, on the before before they actually had to make all these moves. And even then, if they were so, they were what four and a half million, I think. That was the that was ended up being the the difference between the the uh, upper limit of the seventy one four and what where they're at. Um, I was trying to think. Somebody I've seen people say, well, why didn't they put guys on waivers, or why didn't they just send, you know, make some paper transactions and send all their uh, waiver exempt guys down? I don't think the waiver exempt guys would have gotten them that much higher in the grand scheme of things. Well, I mean, yeah, they could have. I remember, because they... you had what Mrazek, Larkin. I don't think March was Marchenko on the uh, team at the beginning of the year. Mrazek is he not. Was. He's waiver. He's waiver eligible. Mrazek is. Yeah, he's now. I'm, I'm talking. He is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking at the you know opening, opening day, which is when mm-hmm. this you know when this number was set. Yeah. You had Larkin, Mrazek. I feel like Xavier Ouellette was on the team. I don't think he was. I don't remember. Uh, he was listed as a scratch on the opening day on the opening night. Huh. Um, but that was two days after opening day. So. Right, so you'd have to go to the transit. Either way, I don't think they had four and a half million dollars in variable, not exposing guys to waivers, kind of thing. Maybe that was the time to do stuff like Ferraro or mm-hmm. Anderson, which still hasn't happened, or Kindle. I mean, who knows? But you know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So it's easy to kind of look and go. Uh, I'm t- I'm more inclined to believe JJ the latter part of your statement, which is. Really, the situation is is Holland mismanaging the cap with all the contracts he's given out. Yeah, yeah. Because when you yeah, I mean, yeah when you hand out big contracts, like you really need to yeah account for that stuff. So it, it seems like they didn't with the concept of it doesn't make sense that like they wouldn't know this or that they would totally have have screwed this up. Um, but wasn't it? Uh, Dale Talon like made a guy a free agent because he forgot to fax something, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's yeah. I mean, certainly it's possible. I, I don't know. I just it's just hard to believe that it's. I, and the other concept too of well, maybe you know he never anticipated that he'd have a healthy roster. I mean, it's certainly we joke about somebody's always hurt, but I mean they yeah, had at least contemplated. Oh crap! What are we going to do if everybody is healthy at the same time? I think what ultimately happened was that Quincy's injury kind of screwed things up uh, because that's who came off of IR the same day that Quincy and Franzen went on IR. Mm. But um, 
they didn't get full cap relief for Quincy. They got only like three point two five million instead of four point two five, and that's because the long term injury reserve lets you go over the cap um, up to that guy's salary. But there is a dead set limit of ten percent over the cap that you can go. Um, and with uh, with Quincy and, and Franz on at the same time, they were at that. You can only go. Uh, 7.14 million over, and they were, and that they, they kind of went too far over, and I think that the million in relief that they didn't get for Quincy, I think that's what actually came back to bite them um, when he came back. Um, and yeah, it was a case of I, I think that they did plan on okay, we'll just LTIR Datsuk, and then uh, Franzen is going to play a few games, and then we're gonna we know what's going to happen with him. Um, but then they have a four and a quarter million dollar guy go down at like a really inconvenient time and that was just the case and then what's weird to me is just the timing of how Miller tears his meniscus like the day they need a guy to get hurt the day they need a guy who makes over a million to get hurt let's be honest guys I, I mean we can say whatever but I'm pretty sure that that entire situation is cooked I'm putting the tinfoil on for that absolutely yeah, that is cooked and if, if oh, yeah, Miller there's... gets I think Drew Miller is going to get a, a one or two year contract this summer. Absolutely. In regards to going on long term injured reserve now, and if he does, yeah, I'm going like full uh, enemy of the state blog this summer. Yeah, that's it's rough. Like it, it, because it, you know, obviously, there's really nothing that we can do to prove that Miller's injury isn't legit, and it could be, but it's just the whole like it, you, the way that it moved up. That so. Holland, you know, he made his statement. He said, you know, uh, well, we're going to have to make some moves unless someone gets hurt tonight. And it's like, what happened in the third period? Oh, Drew Miller torn his fucking meniscus. Like, really? I mean, come on. I I, I understand that it's hockey and injuries happen, but it it just seems like, I don't know. I tinfoil hat for sure. It's weird. (laughs) If it is cooked, then I just want to say thank you, Drew Miller, for being the ultimate team player. Mm. You're amazing. You've guarantee you've shown what made me fall in love with you as a player in the first place yeah that you're willing to you know to go through that just so that Kyle Quincy could come back although let's well, be honest maybe maybe the whole on ice hurting his knee thing wasn't really where he got hurt and someone just took a stick and whacked him over the knee in the dressing room between periods so it may not have been his choice they're yeah, like my- who's the le- most expendable but over a million all I know is that when he if he gets a one to two year deal, he better be signed for like minimum. Like I don't want to see like one point five or like some sort of raise for him. Like I don't want that. And if it He'll does, get, I will scream. I'd be okay with nine hundred fifty k, the yeah. maximum you can yep. bury. Yeah. Yep. He, but he's going to get. The, he'll get the Dan Cleary special, the the nine fifty, but oh, million dollar bonus if you pay play ten games. Yeah. 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 Of course. He's the new Dan Cleary. <laughs> uh so just we, you mentioned Cleary, not Cleary. Oh fuck, fuck that guy, <laughs> Quincy, Quincy back. We the whole question was who are they going to scratch? We thought it would end up being Smith. Unfortunately, should have been. Yeah. been. It yeah. wasn't though. And they and Blashill played seven defensemen. Uh, right call, wrong call, and what do we want to see moving forward? I think it's. I think it wasn't a bad call because um, I thought honestly it was going to be Marchenko that was going to get scratched. I mean, he kind of was there for a second. Yeah, and he scored a goal, so that's good. I mean, good for him. Um, Because he's probably, I don't, I I mean, 
I'm comfortable with saying that he's probably the best complete defenseman on the team right now. So, um, yeah, uh, I think that running seven defensemen isn't something you want to do for a month straight. Uh, that's I don't think that's a smart move because they obviously need help with offense and um, I don't know. Yeah, but if you need help with offense and your option is Yoakam Anderson, <laughs> I mean, I'd probably rather have Brendan Smith than Yoakam Anderson out there. Sure, of course, but you could, I don't know, get rid of him somehow, put him on waivers. I don't, I think his ca- his full cap hit is variable, so. It is, yeah. So, I mean. Would you have, get, to, would you have to waive him in order to call someone up? Yes. Considering yes, the cap situation now? You would. You would have to. You would have to waive him, and then you would have to call up Athanasiu, or you know, it, it would probably end up being Athanasiu. So. Yeah, they're not going to do that. No, they're not. But it's just it's stupid because they. I mean, they're winning games right now because of goaltending, and uh, you know that's not sustainable. <laughs> I think playing seven D was a mistake, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with the whole concept of like I don't know that I wanted Joachim Anderson in the game instead. Um, I kind of personally am tired of people asking Brendan for Brendan Smith to be played at forward, but honestly, I got to kind of bite the bullet on that one and say Brendan Smith maybe should have played forward in that game. I just don't think that the like they they couldn't get breakouts, and it seemed like a lot of the times it was because they weren't entirely sure where their defensive partner was, and a lot of the times the forwards wasn't weren't exactly sure uh, whether they should be covering for a guy making his third pinch of the second period or not, uh, and leading to an odd man rush again. So it just seems like they were uh, less combobulated than they should have been. And also, like, I don't know if Blashill told them, like, I don't know which one of you I want to scratch. I'm just going to play you all, and the one that sucks is going to be the odd man out. But uh, if that's the case, that's kind of a dumb way to do it because, I mean, I mean, it, it showed that Brendan Smith should have been the scratch. But I don't know. It just didn't work. I didn't like it. There's no you can't get any flow going with seven D because you, you, they keep switching up the partners. So I, I, I guess I understood the concept of of trying to get Quincy just kind of slowly into the game, but it's like I don't know. You kind of look back and just go, you know what? Just bite the bullet, scratch somebody. But the, the problem is they. I mean, really, it's still probably the optimal lineup because they, the the uh, alternative is putting Anderson in. Yeah, so, I mean it's not like it's not like Joachim Anderson being in the lineup last night results in a victory. So yeah, that's true. He could play I the mean, it's, it's not kill, something though, right? I would want to see going. He could block yeah, shots. He could defend. Could have, but he I'm just saying have. the last person who tried going with seven D ended up in a coma because of an apple. So just don't do that. Snow White joke, guys. Oh, I. Uh, I mean, I was thinking yeah. oh. John Cooper in the playoffs last year did a lot against the Wings. But hey, Snow White, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Disney movies, family show. Here we are. Fuck. I don't know. Have I ever oh, seen the classic? Movie? I don't know, Jeff. Classic. Have you? I'm trying to segue out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Ah, that's win radio. Uh, broke Jeff. <laughs> this is good radio. <laughs> Podcast, whatever. <laughs> so we want to keep talking sure, about Seven D. No. 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 Uh, what I want to talk about now is. Quincy's usage, because I actually thought that he was fairly good in the L.A. game, um, but he was also a little bit sheltered. Uh, what do you guys think about the idea that they are going to, or they should, like, super-duper 
shelter Quincy until the trade deadline, like give him Jakob Kindle minutes uh, just to see if they can like build up his trade value? Well, I personally think that's a great idea, but I honestly don't think they're going to try and do that. I think they're going to try and keep him like, I, I, because in, you know, I, it's getting to the time of the year where my Twitter feed is filling up with people like, Ooh, this guy is possibly on the trade block. What would you give up for him? And like my first response is, well, you can't give anything up for him because you have to dump a shit ton of salary first. So, um, when I think about it, the only team really right now that is going to be possible for a trade is the Jets because they are willing to take on salary and they have shit to get rid of that the Red Wings need. So I don't know. Um, yeah, they should shelter. I think they should shelter Quincy either way, but whether they're trying to build his uh, trade value or not, because I mean, he did just, I mean, it was kind of a serious injury for a defenseman. So, um, you know, because like a, an injury like that will screw up your lateral movement all like all day long. Um, so I think that should whether they're trying to build um, uh, trade value or not, they need to do that just because it's it's the smart thing to do. And they have other defensemen who are better. So, yeah, I think because uh, let's be honest, Jonathan Erickson is not coming out of the lineup, even though no. he should. No, um, so if you rolled a third pairing of Quincy Erickson. That actually wouldn't be a bad third pairing. You think? In theory. What's your top four, then? Yeah, how do you protect Cronwall in that case? You put... He's uh, bad, too. He's uh, awful. I, I put Cronwall with Green, because that worked. I think... Yeah. Smith, Smith said, I, and I think it's just a numbers thing, because you can't <laughs> you can't split up to Kaiser Marchenko. No. I think... I think them up. De Kaiser yeah. Marchenko are what De Kaiser Quincy were last year, which is that... That dependable pairing that you know they're, you know they're not gonna they're not gonna really Light drive possession yeah. really well, um, but they're gonna hold their own against against top competition, and then you can free up the other pairs to hopefully pick up some of that slack. I think a Cronwall Green pairing getting I don't wanna say sheltered but softer minutes um, could actually be pretty good because they were good earlier this year when they were paired together, um, and then Smith will have to sit just because. Erickson won't. Otherwise, I would play a third pairing of Quincy Smith and and let that that pair would actually be really good if you oh, could no. give those guys. I, I would be I'd be comfortable with that. You can't pair Quincy and Smith. Didn't we learn that? They tried to do that earlier. Yeah, it was awful. What, what? It's going to work this time. Quincy's been fixed. He's bionic now. So. <laughs> I still. I thought you were going to say he's been neutered. Can we put Smith back with Cronwall? They played well like four years ago together. I don't know no, if I'm because cool. Still all garbage now, so no. But Smith is good now. Didn't you read everything you can't, for Sean? Cron- the last Cronwall's, month and a half? Cronwall's <laughs> descent has gone further down than, than Smith's little baby step up he took. So, it was no. A, it was a very large baby, though. <laughs> I've seen yeah. I've seen lots son. of baby steps, and you know what usually happens when babies take large? They fall on their ass. They yeah, that was last down. night. Yeah, he gets back up. You're never or they waddle down. Down. waddles his way around all over again. Guys, I thought we were past this Brendan Smith sucks thing. Come on, we no, were. We turned a corner he had last he night. Yeah, one game does not make a season nor a career. <laughs> yeah, but Brendan Smith has been not that good for a while. So turn the corner and there's a two man rush around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean i mean too long didn't read uh, the red wings defense is <laughs> not good <laughs> it is bad Ultimately, they do have to switch up the pairings they're not working i thought that blash had learned his lesson about cronwell and erickson 
um, and then he like mysteriously put them back together for seemingly no reason. And big surprise, uh, the Red Wings are bad at puck position again. I don't know. I, I, I guess correlation doesn't equal causation, but yeah, it fucking does. Uh, Cronwall, Erickson, the entire reason the Red Wings are not playing well together. That's yeah. it. Hot take. Print it. Speaking of hot takes, uh, the Wings are trading for Stamkos and Druin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, yep. that's true. They can't trade Nyquist now because he's ice cold, so forget it. Now they got to trade to Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck the trade talk topic. I want to talk about Nyquist. <laughs> I'm just going to f- f- fuck that segue. Same segue. Welcome. Nyquist. You're welcome. Uh, Graham, I'm going to you because you, you talked about it in the chat a little bit uh, last night and in your recap. Nyquist. The fuck, man. I, you know, I don't know. And the, the worst part is he's playing on a line that he was actually quite successful last year, but... It's it's the worst part is he hasn't scored in ten games, which I guess is fine because goal scores are are naturally streaky unless you're like superstar elite and Nyquist is not that so whatever um, he's not getting looks like he's not you don't I don't have the sense watching him that he's about to break out and he's about yeah. to get goal or he's he's getting chances like you watch him and the the eye test is he's just. He's just kind of around the perimeter. He's not. He's not, not taking shots. And Nyquist, when Nyquist is playing well, he's getting a lot of shots, and he's not getting that. Um, he's playing with Zetterberg and, and Abdukater, so there's no reason why he shouldn't be uh, at least involved offensively. He's still getting power play time. I mean, the power play in general is is Harkovich. So, I mean, that's that's not just Nyquist, but I mean he's. He's a part of that. He scored a lot of power play goals last year. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's baffling as to what happened to him, but he just he just doesn't look good. Honestly, I think and it, 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 you could maybe boil it down to the power play itself. Um, it's so bad, and it's just, I, I, I don't even know how to really explain it at this point, but it's so anemic. It's not even like, it, it goes cold, goes hot. It's just cold always um and it just they they can't make room for shots they're playing on the perimeter they're playing sloppy they can't bring the puck into the zone they can't set up well um it's just it's not working and nyquist bread and butter is if he's gonna shoot the puck he's more often than not gonna score because he's a very accurate shooter but he's not shooting the puck nearly enough for a guy that needs like like him he needs to be shooting the puck um and he's just not doing that. So um, the power play has been a culprit of that because, you know, when you're scoring a lot of goals, like last season, when you're scoring a lot on the power play um, and you're not now, then you you are, your your confidence is at an all-time low and he's just not playing confident. And he's, it's, it's painful to watch, man, because it's like Nyquist, remember at one point, was the most exciting player on the team. And now it's just like, I don't even know he's there. And it sucks. So 16 shots on goal in those in those yeah. ten games that he hasn't scored. That's Total. very bad. That guy should be averaging four shots a game. I mean, be like Larkin, just throw it at the damn net, whatever. I mean, him and Tatar probably have the best shot on the team. So, in terms of accuracy, velocity, and everything, like he's just he's I don't know. He needs to be shooting yeah. the puck, and they yeah, need yeah. to. Be- it's like- yeah. Graham had mentioned uh, Nyquist doesn't even look like he's particularly close to a breakout. Um, like Tatar had looked, 
he looked like he was getting close to a breakout. Now he scored in consecutive games, and it looks like he's starting to, to put it back together again. And Nyquist is not. I mean, he looks defensively good, but yeah, uh, he's not moving the puck up ice. He's not taking enough shots. Uh, when he does, it feels like he's gotten more blocked than usual. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just freaking annoying. It is annoying. You know, it, it's annoying that the, the wings can't. Fuck, I lost my train of thought. God damn it. I am <laughs> off today. I had this really good segue about the Wings not being able to call up prospects, but Michelle can call them up in her prospects report, and I, don't, I lost my train of thought. So, hey, guys, listen to the prospects report because Michelle's really smart. The Griffins continued to climb up the standings last week, winning three of their four games and picking up a total of six out of eight possible points. They boast a record of 21-11-0-1 and 43 points, which puts them second in their central division behind only the Rockford Icehogs and third in the Western Conference. Sunday, January 3rd, they picked up a 4-1 win over the Manitoba Moose, then fell on Tuesday 2-1 to the same team. Friday against the Milwaukee Admirals, they picked up a 4-2 win and then got a shootout win on Saturday against the Lake Erie Monsters. Injuries continue to be an issue for the team as they're still without Andre. Andreas Athanasiu, Mitch Callahan, Dan Cleary, Tom McCollum, Tristan Grant, and Xavier Roulette. They missed Nick Jensen for a game, but he returned on Saturday night, and they did get Tomasz Nozek back on Friday night. Alden Hirschfeld was called up from the Toledo Walleye to help fill in up front, and then Friday night during the Milwaukee Admirals game, he had a seizure and collapsed on the bench in what was a really horrifying event to watch. He was stretchered off the ice and taken immediately to the hospital where he received medical attention. On Sunday, he and the Griffins released a statement where he said he felt good, he was going back home to Toledo to recover and take it easy for a few days, but he was doing well. With another player on the injured list, the Griffins signed Toledo Walleye forward AJ Jenks to a professional tryout on Sunday afternoon. With Xavier Willett out with a concussion, Richard Niedemel played in his first Griffins game of the season on Friday night and promptly got into a fight. He got into a second fight early in the second period and was then ejected from the game. Scott Zarnelson was also called up from Toledo to play on defense, and Saturday night, Coach Nelson chose to dress seven defensemen and 11 forwards. Zarnelson played most of the game, and Niedemel got two to three shifts. With so many players out with injuries, the Griffins have needed more players to step up, particularly some of their better players. In the last four games, Eric Tangrady had five points, Anthony Mantha and Marty Furk had four points each, Nathan Page and Mark Zangerly had three points each, and Zach Nastasiak and Tyler Bertuzzi each picked up two points. Pretty much every week now for the last few months, I've talked about Anthony Mantha, Marty Furk, and Eric Tangrady being hot players. So it's no coincidence that those are three of the top four scorers on the team right now. Eric Tangrady leads the way with 28 points, Andy Mealy second with 25, and Anthony Mantha has 23, and Marty Furk has 19. Tomasz Nozek had a really slow, rough start to the season, picking up just one point in his first 15 games. Even though he's playing well, he wasn't getting rewarded with points, and it was a combination of bad luck, poor usage, line mates, all of the above. He's been getting hotter recently, though. He has eight points in his last 18 games, and he has four points in his last three. And the two games that he's played in since getting sent back down from Detroit. He's been fantastic. As Wings fans, we've talked a lot this season about wanting younger forwards from Grand Rapids called up and guys like Anderson, Miller, and Glenn Denning to be scratched or possibly put on waivers. And Noshek is one of the guys that we had speculated about. Well, we finally got to see him make his NHL debut and he looked good. And Jeff Blashill always talked about how he would have no problem playing Noshek in any situation. And to back that up, he did put him on the penalty kill in Detroit in, I think, 
think his second or third game. Looking at Noshek's stats in Grand Rapids though before his call-up, it wouldn't have looked like he was a top candidate. However, those production numbers that he has this season are not indicative of his play. There's a lot of context that you wouldn't get looking at the stat sheet that are really important for how Noshek's season has gone so far. Last year in his rookie season, he missed 16 games at the beginning of the year when he sustained a serious cut to his hand. It took him a little while once he got back from the injury to really get going, but through the course of the season, he became a go-to guy for Jeff Blaschel. He was either first or second line center. He had good line mates. He was on the power play, on the penalty kill. If Blaschel needed a key face-off in the defensive zone, he would put Noshek out. Noshek earned a top role on the team, and Blaschel rewarded him with ice time and putting him in a position to best utilize the skills that he had. This year with Nelson coming in, Noshek's playing third line center, no power play. He has fourth line quality line mates or guys that I would even say should be healthy scratches. And he had a really hard time adjusting to this new role and usage. On the post game show last week, Bob Kayser was talking to one of the Griffins assistant coaches and he talked specifically about Noshek and how he really struggled with the new coaching staff coming in and the different philosophies that Nelson has compared to Blash Hill. Those, the two coaches are really very, very different and they have extremely different philosophies when it comes to putting a team together and player usage and how they want their players to play and what kind of roles they value. And you could see as the season went on this year, his confidence just got lower and lower and lower and it was really painful to watch. He was on the upswing and getting more points a while before he got called up to Detroit, but I think that getting the call-up was huge for his confidence and his mental state. I disagree very strongly with the way that Nelson's using Noshek in Grand Rapids, but there isn't really anything we can do about it, and he seems determined to keep Noshek in that role. And if Nosey can succeed in the position that Nelson puts him in, in the usage, with the line mates that he has, he can succeed anywhere. I continue to be very pleased with the progress that Anthony Mantha's made and the points that he puts up and the way that he's playing. He's gotten much stronger and also better at using his size and his strength. Friday in the game against the Admirals, he had a drive to the net that was really exciting to watch because he essentially muscled his way through the defenders and pushed his way to the net with the puck on his stick. Saturday night against the Monsters, he did the puck protection in the corner like Henrik Zetterberg does, where he had the puck on his stick and he took one hand off his stick, put it out to protect the puck, keep the player away from him, made himself big, and the Monsters player couldn't get to the puck. When Mantha is on, he's almost unstoppable. It doesn't matter if it's skating the puck up ice, if it's protecting the puck, if it's getting the puck to the net, taking a shot, whatever it is. He continues to get better about being on more often, but I still have times when I watch him and I just I just want to kick him in the pants to get him going a little bit more, to snap him out of it, to make him pay attention. He'll still make the occasional quote-unquote lazy pass or do something and you're like, come on, you know better than that. He's good now. He's really good, but he's not to the great part yet. And there's another step that he can take. He has it in him and I keep waiting to see it. He's inching closer and inching closer and inching closer. He just needs to keep going and get there. Marty Furk has been somewhat of an unexpected surprise this year. From a guy that many people had written off to having 19 points in 24 games and being fourth on the team in scoring. Marty Furk has been good this year and he continues to get better. The shot that he has, the release, he's improving his positioning and awareness 
awareness on the ice. His skating has also gotten better, and he's faster now than he's ever been. So he's able to get to more pucks and do more things because he has a little bit more mobility and foot speed. One thing he still needs to work on is cutting down his penalties a little bit. He has 49 penalty minutes in 24 games. I think a majority of the penalties I've seen him take have been the result of him not being able to keep up or what I call catch-up penalties. Things like hooking or tripping where he gets behind and then ends up taking a poor penalty because he can't get to the puck or he was out of position or something of that nature. I'm really excited to see what he does with the rest of the season and where he ends up at the end of the year. Ferk is one of the many Red Wings prospects who will lose waiver exemption next year. So at the beginning of next season, he'll have to clear waivers before being sent down to Grand Rapids. So what he ends up doing this season could have an impact on whether the Red Wings keep him, see if he could play in the NHL, put him on waivers, trade him, etc. Jared Coro has started the last 14 games for the Griffins and is 11-3-0 in those games. In the four games last week, he made 114 saves on 122 shots for a 934 save percentage. On the season, he has a 17-5-1 record, a 931 save percentage, and a 2.14 goals against average. That overall puts him as the third best goalie in the AHL. He has the second highest save percentage, third best in goals against average, and has the second most wins. Coro has been anywhere from really good to great this season, and without him, I don't know where the Griffins would be. AKDNA6 on Twitter asked me what I think the ceiling for Jared Coro is. Right now, I think his ceiling in the NHL would be a very good backup goalie. I don't know if he would ever be what I would consider a clear number one starter on an NHL team, but I think he could be a very good backup. At 6'6", 220 pounds, he's a big goalie. He moves very gracefully. He can cover down low post to post just by dropping into butterfly. He has great reach. He's able to snag pucks with his glove, whether it be out of the air or through a crowd simply because he has the reach. He doesn't get screened too often because not many players can screen him. And he seems to have found a good place mentally and with his confidence. Whereas when he first came into the league, it could be a bad goal or even not even a bad goal, just a goal and it would throw him off his game and you could tell that his confidence would go down and the team might end up losing the game. Now he's at a point where he has confidence but it's not just when they're winning. Even in the games that the Griffins were losing, it was clear that he wasn't letting it get to him. He was staying strong mentally, not not overthinking things, and he seems to have found a good level place where he's not getting too high nor too low. It's possible if the Wings are looking for someone to back up Peter Mrazek in a few years who isn't Jimmy Howard, they could be looking at Jared Cora right now, but we really need more time to see how he continues to develop. It's too early for me to be comfortable saying whether he would be fit for that role or not. Down in Toledo, over the weekend, the Walleye were without second leading scorer Alden Hirschfeld and defensemen Scott Zarnozin and Richard Niedemel, along with goalie Jake Patterson, as all those players had been called up to the Grand Rapids Griffins' reinforcements. Despite missing some significant players, the Walleyes still won both of their games over the weekend against the Reading Royals, having a 3-1 win on Friday night and a 4-2 win on Sunday. The Walleye now have a record of 20-10-1-3 with 44 points on the season, which puts them at first in the Northern Division and third in the Eastern Conference. In other prospects news, World Junior Gold Medalist Billy Sarajarvi returned to Flint and played two games with the Firebirds. He had an assist in a 3-2 overtime loss on Saturday, and didn't play on Sunday. I'm not sure why, but I'm guessing it would have to be an injury for him not to be in the lineup. Over in the QMJHL, Adam Marsh put up four points in two games for the St. John's Sea Dogs. He had one goal in three assists. He had a goal and an assist in a 5-2 win, and then two assists in a 5-4 win. He's currently third on his team in points with 33, and also third in goals with 17. Evgeny Svechnikov hasn't yet returned to Cape Breton from the World Juniors, so he hasn't played a game yet. In the Western Hockey League, Joe Hickett's return to Victoria 
Victoria and played two games for the Royals and registered two assists. He has 31 points in 31 games this season and is 11th among defensemen in points in the league, despite missing 13 games while away at the World Juniors. He's also 14th in the entire league in assists. Last year, the Wings decided not to sign defenseman Mark McNulty to his entry-level contract. He re-entered the draft, no one took him, and he returned to the Western Hockey League for his overage year. He's currently playing with the Moose Jaw Warriors. In the summer development camp, Yuri Fisher said that the Red Wings still considered him a prospect, even though he wasn't in the system and didn't belong to any team. It's been interesting to watch him this season. He has 37 points in 39 games and is actually 6th in the Western Hockey League in defenseman points and is tied with Joe Hicketts with 30 assists on the season. So he's actually having a very productive season as well and I wonder if the Red Wings have completely given up on him and let him go with all the other defensemen they have in the system or if they're kind of keeping an eye on him. At this point, if they decided to sign him and they wanted to bring him back in, it wouldn't cost them anything. So something to keep an eye on. Over in Europe, Christopher N. and Axel Holmstrom both returned to their SHL teams. N played one game, registered two shots, and played 10 minutes and 13 seconds for Frolunda. And Holmstrom registered two shots, played 9 minutes and 32 seconds for Schleftia. Over in the Finnish Liga, Julius Vatalo has been on quite a hot streak lately. He had a slow start to the season and went through a slump in October-November. But in his last 12 games, he's put up 7 points, 4 goals, and 3 assists. He's getting more shots on goal consistently, and he looks like he's playing with a little more confidence. Keep an eye on this kid. A couple weeks ago in an MLive article, Ken Holland was quoted as saying that both Evgeny Svechnikov and Joe Hicketts would be in Grand Rapids next year, and that in the next couple months they would decide if they were going to have Axel Holmstrom come over to Grand Rapids or stay in the SHL a little bit longer. Over the weekend, Ken Holland did an interview with Expressin and said that Holmstrom might be staying another year in the SHL. Holland said that there are currently no plans to put Holmstrom in the AHL next season. One of the things Holland said was that in his experience, Swedish talent often prefer to play in Sweden. So a couple weeks ago, it sounded like Holland was on the fence and hadn't yet decided if Holmstrom was going to come over and play in Grand Rapids. But right now, it sounds like unless Holmstrom really wanted to, he'll probably stay in the SHL for at least one more season. There are certainly advantages and disadvantages either way. I think the Swedish Hockey League is a good development league, and I've talked about it quite a bit before, but Axel Holmstrom is currently playing against a high level of competition in the SHL, and he's not playing against younger players. He's playing against older, experienced players, better players, better goalies, and he gets the benefit of being closer to home. The two big factors that will probably determine when Holmstrom comes over is, one, when does he want to? Would he prefer playing in the SHL or the AHL as a developmental league? And the other is, where do the Red Wings think he'll be developed best? Now, right now, it honestly sounds like they don't have a strong preference one way or the other, that they're fine if he stays over in the SHL and continues his development there. We have a recent example of Matthias Janmark, who he stayed over in Europe. I was starting to wonder if he was ever going to come over, but he stayed over in the SHL. That was his developmental league. He came over, he didn't spend any time in the AHL, and he's in the NHL with Dallas right now. That could be a path that the Red Wings look to take with Holmstrom, maybe letting him stay in the SHL until he's ready for the NHL and then bringing him over. I don't really know for sure at this point, but right now it sounds like the Wings are content to let him stay at least another season over in in Sweden and uh, continue playing in the SHL and getting his development there. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Well, thanks, Michelle. Uh, I'm going to give it to JJ now before I fuck up another segue, so ask us some questions. Uh, phrasing on that, Jeff. I'm going to give it to JJ. Well, you give know. it to JJ before I fuck up anything else. Right? <laughs> Jeez. Can't wait for Denver. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah, I know. Denver's <laughs> All right, it's time for uh, my, 
Jeff and I might not come back. All right, go ahead. Yeah, you definitely should stay in Denver. It's... No, I have a job and a wife. I'm definitely coming back to Boston. So. <laughs> well, well, bring your wife to Denver with you. That's what I'm doing. You That's what I'm doing. She said no. Yeah, she's, she's cool marriage. She, she's still cold from the, the Winter Classic, so <laughs> you, you dragged her to the Winter Classic when she had like the death flu. Yeah, she said, "I'm not going. Go have fun with your internet friends." I said, oh, that's, nice. <laughs> that's, "That's such a sad statement." Really, think she about didn't. It. She didn't actually say internet friends. She said JJ and Graham. And I was like, and Kyle. I didn't even remember her. <laughs> and she was like, oh, the drunk. That he was the drunk one from the wedding. And I said, yes, that was Kyle. I remember. You that. have to be especially drunk to be remembered as the drunk one from the wedding because we were all toasted. Oh, yeah. The drunk one from the wedding? You were the, well, you were one of the drunk ones from the wedding. Because okay. I was drunk, so I can confirm. Yeah. No, you definitely were. Yeah. I thought remember when we lifted you up? Yeah, I have a picture of that. I gave that a thumbs up. I gave two thumbs up. <laughs> I thought All for right. sure instead of the drunk one, we were going to be remembered as the fun table. Oh, you were definitely the fun table. You were also the loud table, mm-hmm. which kind of yeah. corresponds with each other. Yeah. Yep. But she also did say the picture of us giving the thumbs up was a really good picture. She liked that one. I like that picture. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make that my profile pic soon. There you I, go. I, I remember taking that picture, so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of a bonus for me after that one. I just, but before we move into whatever, like the morning after when we went and got breakfast, it was just like Graham barely said a word and it was just because he was, I was afraid of vomit coming out. That's why (laughs) it was, Uh, I was, uh, I was, we, I was hurting the next day. It was, I mean, it was totally worth it to be in the car for 12 hours after that, but yeah, it was a fun time though. It was a good time. All right. Okay. So, uh, reader questions. Uh, going over that. Uh, the very first one is about what's wrong with Nyquist, so uh, we just talked about that. Uh, I hope we answered it fully enough for you, Holmes from 96, because I like you, but we're not yeah. going to talk about it anymore. Uh, well, it's trade season, so let's go uh, try and trading for Shattenkirk by Lundberg91. The Blues need another top six score. Would you try to trade Nyquist along with high draft pick and, sorry, he's bolding, and or one of our defenseman prospects for him. Who who asked that question? Uh, Lundberg ninety one. Um, Lundberg. Uh, no, we're not going to because Tampa's going oh, to. Domi scored again. Domi Arika. Um, no, uh, that's not going to happen because I'm almost certain that it's going to be Duran for Shattenkirk and Fabry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that is absolutely. I mean, I would perfect. trade for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you trade Nyquist and Woulette for him. Sure. And yeah, first. I would. He has, what, one year left on his contract? Yes. Yeah, I'd do that. Sure. Why not? Screw is it. he right handed? No. Yes. I'm, yes, he I'm is. Just yeah, kidding. Yeah. Either. I don't give a shit. I'm He's ambidextrous. And he can do both. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on Blashell at the halfway mark? Still's a good name. He's got great like hairline. Yeah, I think he's a good coach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seriously, though. Um, I think he's a good coach, uh, and I honestly don't... I, I mean, when we were going through that little tough part, I, there were a lot of people who were like, seriously, this dude kind of sucks, and it's just like, you got to give him his full, like, at least two, three years before you can say he sucks or not, just because, I mean, he isn't exactly... I mean, look at, like, take this whole cap situation as a, an example of what Ken Holland has given him. You can't really fault him. He's a smart guy. He when it, he always says smart things 
in his interviews, you know, in terms of, you know, well, we just need to play the puck quicker. We need to, um, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. Um, he, I think he's a much better personality than Babcock. Um, I think the players like him more than Babcock. Um, so I give him so far, given what he has been handed, uh, I give him an A minus. Yeah, he's adjusted well to the NHL. Um, he's made decisions that make sense. I mean, he's playing players based off of them earning their spots in the lineup, not they've got a huge contract. Um, he did things that we kind of screamed at Babcock to do for a couple of years, you know, split up Erickson and Cronwall. Um, don't play Glenn Denning against the other team's top lines. Uh, while. <laughs> uh, you know, he's right. Put, putting... Um, you know, putting some uh, putting some youth into the lineup. Uh, he's he's doing that. Um, he's not perfect. He's got to make some adjustments. But um, through half a season, it's hard not to be um, pretty satisfied so far. Yeah, but they yeah. the, the follow up question is, uh, or one of the questions is about Granado getting replaced as the power play coach, which Granado runs the penalty killing. Uh, first father runs the power play. That's something has to happen there. Um, I don't know if that's going to be on Blashill or first or who, but somebody has to. Somebody has to fix that. Yeah, that's I mean, the things. I'm willing to give Blashill like a full season for a lot of things. I'm not willing to give Firstweiler that much leeway. I would be okay if they fired him now if the power play does not get better. Because it's not like the power play is getting unlucky. They're simply not shooting the puck enough. There yeah. was something wrong with the way the power play is built. And I don't have the kind of patience for that with an assistant coach as I as I would with a head coach with the entire team. So yeah. uh, get it fixed or get the hell out. Yeah, and that's the, I think that's probably going to show one of uh, Blaschel's first faults is that I think Fershweiler is kind of like, Fershweiler is kind of his buddy. Um, I don't know if they're just going to do that. So I think that might end up being something that we might kind of say all right dude it's your team like because if you think about it if this team had an actual power play that you know was like even marginally better than what it is now you'd think how much different would the team look you know i mean one goal changes how many of these games that they've lost in the past uh 15 games um so yeah i think that is a legitimate concern and i think that first filer is not that good so um yeah there's an uh, we kind of skipped out the the center portion of that PA Wingsman question. Uh, do you think Blash and Ken Holland will have a better approach of putting the best team on the ice compared to Babcock and Ken Holland? Um, I think that's an interesting question because specifically what's happened with Marchenko this year. I mean, they waived Jakob Kindle to keep him in the lineup. Do we think that that happens under Babcock? No, no way. Marchenko's not on the team. If yeah. Babcock. I mean, Dylan Larkin. There's there's another example. Dylan Larkin earned a spot out of camp and he made the team he's been one of if not the best red wing forward all season yeah and i good. i don't think larkin i think larkin could have had the exact same camp and have the exact same circumstances with datsuk missing the beginning of the season and everything and i still think larkin would have been sent down if babcock's the coach i just yep. i believe it's a that gut yeah. feeling. maybe i'm 100 percent wrong but it just it you never saw a young guy get that type of opportunity under babcock so just those those two decisions alone, to me, signify a change in direction. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ben Bishop, uh, Let's Go Red Wings, ask, who's your favorite non-national broadcast team besides the FSD crew? I mean, Ed Olchek, when he does Blackhawk games, is a real treat to listen to. And Pat Foley, who does their play-by-play, <laughs> is just 
drunk all the time. <laughs> so they are was, both awful. The question the question was re, regional, right? Yeah, yeah non national. Okay. Uh, uh, he says that the I, CSN crew on little, the San Jose game was not bad, but uh, I disagree. Little biased here, but I as play by play guy, Don't. I do yeah. like Jack Edwards. I, I like I like Jack Edwards too because he, he uh, the Homer shit is all there, but I just he loves the game of hockey he, and that comes you know what, though, out. He owns I, it though. Sure, I mean, yep. that's the thing. He it's it's it almost seems like and part of this is from talking to you, Jeff, because you've you know you know him to some degree. It's it's it's, it's almost like it's a character to a little bit you know well it's it's um, him just turned up a little bit but he is genuinely in that enthusiastic about the bruins and the game of hockey in person Mm -hmm. when he did that when he sang we wish you a merry christmas during that fight or whatever that was the most brilliant thing like i i had so much fun watching that even though it was so corny so cheesy it didn't really make much sense but it was just it was really awesome, and uh, it showed a lot of you know character, which is what you look for in a broadcast. You look for you look for personalities that y- y- you know you can you can come back and want to see. Uh, the Red Wings don't really have that outside of Mickey Redmond, honestly. Yeah, it shows that Jack Edwards has a fan feel for the game. Yeah, because if he's singing "We Wish You a Merry Christmas" in the middle of a fight, he knows that the fight is ridiculous, and he's just adding on to the moment with his own brand of ridiculousness. Right, I love it. He didn't need to take anything too seriously, and like Jeff said he really does love the game i think the other thing with jack edwards that he gets a lot of undue criticism for is uh, always an unabashed homer i think that a lot of times people are listening to the nesson broadcast and they hear andy brickley say something ridiculously homerishly stupid and they just in their mind they reflexively blame jack edwards for saying it brickley is the real problem on the nesson feed um even then, he doesn't. I don't think that he ruins it. I think that that probably the the Nesson feed is one of the very best in all of the regional broadcasts because specifically they are broadcasting to a Boston crowd. They are broadcasting to the home crowd. So why the hell not be homers? Uh, outside of Nesson, I think that uh, the uh, the Dallas Stars guys are real They're good. Okay. Yeah. They were way better when it was Ralph String. Just it's basically mm-hmm. Daryl Ray that that drives that. Daryl Ray is is wonderful. So, um, but the guy I don't even know who the hell the play by play guy is there now. But he's just he's okay. And then it's basically just waiting for Daryl Ray to say something entertaining. Right. Um, I think the Kings local announcers do a pretty good, although a little dry job. Um, other than that, no. I mean, it's a, it's I've, a bunch of. I've always enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed Strader in Arizona. He's a good play-by-play guy, and I like yeah, Tyson Nash is shit though. He's Tyson Nash is awful. So you watch it for Strader, and then Nash starts talking. Just go, God. Um, I don't mind the, the Hurricanes <laughs> guys, Forsland, and I don't oh, even yeah, know who does one. their color. Yeah. Um, whoever does their color, I mean, I don't watch a lot of Canes games. So, um, but Forsland, I like as a yeah. I guess you know, see, uh, you know, former Red Wing Strassel. Yeah. Yeah. And but, it's um, they're good. Yeah, this wasn't the part of the question, but if you if you brought it up though, uh, if you go to national, I and this is probably an unpopular opinion. I think that Doc is the best. I really I think, like Doc. I know. I, think, I love Doc. I think I Doc's like incredible. Doc. The mm-hmm. way he calls the game is perfect. No, I I think Doc is is the perfect play by play national guy 
for hockey. Yeah. It's he the pro, his problem is he gets saddled with with crap. Oh, absolutely, sure. absolutely. So, they don't give uh, Doc Brian Engblom uh, a lot because I think Brian Engblom is uh, low key really good. Well, he's mm-hmm. he's better once he stopped trying to be uh, Pierre Maguire. Like he yeah, stopped yeah, exactly. trying to like once he, he just talked about hockey instead of like trying to do bullshit extra stuff and be over yeah. the top goofy. It calls a good game. What was it? Him and Strader used to do the NBC games as the B crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoyed those broadcasts. Yeah. yeah. NBC does, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, the obvious, uh, Pierre is a shit heel, um, Olchek is a shit heel. Um, but everything else, I mean, for the most part is great. But Doc, like, I look forward to NBC broadcasts because of Doc Emmerich. He is just mm-hmm. world class. Yeah. World class. I'll- out there for the local guys, and I think there's actually not very many that I don't like because I actually I would enjoy I would rather listen to a homer that hates the Red Wings than yeah. um, a national guy trying to be objective but failing like Olchik. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. just like Rick Jenner bothers me because his voice it just grates me. Like it's not that he's bad at his job. I mean he he calls it well. He knows what he's talking about. It's just when his voice gets excited and he sounds like Yoda, Yoda having an orgasm, it's just cut it out. <laughs> it's time to go. Oh, that's an awful image. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Beard League Arbitration wants to know um, the concept of trade value versus keep value. Uh, you know, you've used the explanation of his keep value is greater than his trade value mm-hmm. to temper trade speculation. Specifically, we talked about that with uh, Jimmy Howard in the preseason. Right. Uh, are there any roster players or prospects that you currently feel have a higher trade value than keep value? Um, prospects that have higher trade value right now. Probably Mantha It has a high t- trade value right now. Um, I think his keep value is probably right about even. Um, but I guess if it gets you a defenseman like that you really need, um, not just a rental, then I think his trade value is higher. Uh, an example for non-prospect, um, like if you look at Thomas Yurko, he has no trade value at this point. His keep value is higher. So I think literally any of our defensemen have a higher trade value than keep value. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. I think Cronwell would be a great, a good one. Cronwell will retire a Red Wing. Yeah. Oh no, I know, I know, absolutely. But I, I get, to, yeah, I get to saying. Uh, um, I, you know, it's funny. I had, I would have said um, uh, Abdulkader before he signed his contract. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. a good one. But then he signed the contract, and it's you know, I mean, he he, he still has high. I, I think he could have had high trade value mm-hmm. um, as a rental, right? To be a package, I mean, you could have packaged him up at the trade deadline with a couple of other pieces to um, somebody looking to kind of add some depth and yeah. kind of picked up maybe a couple of decent prospects, maybe some high picks for him. Right but now, that that trade value is. Well, when you think, when you contract. honestly think about it, you look at all thirty teams in the NHL. Um, you know, regardless of what fan opinion or what people around twi- hockey Twitter say or anything, I think every single team in the NHL would kill to have a player like Justin Advocator on their team. Absolutely, it's not even it's not even a question. Um, yeah. it's just that's that it is what it is. You know, he is yeah. a, it's, it, a model of what NHL teams want in a player: mm-hmm. scoring, gritty can play all situations it's just he is that guy so it's yeah and that's before he signed the, because now with that contract yeah you can't you can't move him really because you because you, you would take him for the next two three four years but it's years five six and seven that you're you don't want to have him mm-hmm. so right but yeah he, he was anybody my, on an expiring contract has higher trade value than keep value yeah, um, I think, yeah. I, yeah, I think Helm is probably the one. Even though he hasn't really produced this year, um, 
I think a team could absolutely take a flyer on him at the deadline. Yeah, JJ, do you honest, say that? Do you say that about Datsuk next year? Uh, not really. But he's thirty. He's thirty-seven. He's gonna be thirty-eight. So I, I might. I think it's a uh, the PR of trading Datsuk in, in that year. It would be a mess. Yeah, real bad. Um, and then I think that both Tatar and Nyquist are maybe just about even in trade value versus keep value uh, because I think they've got good value, in, like pretty high value in both categories. Um, but there's also the consideration that it's possible that we may be able to spend one of those assets um, because that was the argument about Howard having high keep value is who the hell is going to be your backup. And like, cause I don't think Corot is going to do it, but you know, once we get to this summer and we can consider... Uh, getting a, a backup sign for a decent cap hit, then yeah, I think that Howard's trade value ex- exceeds his, his keep value. But that's that's a consideration there. Yeah, for sure. Um, next up, Big Tech's D304. Who does your intro music? Those are some pretty fresh beats, and it's always something slightly different each week. Interested to know if this artist has any other material out there. Uh, we've got a guy, his name is uh, Justin, who does the music uh, based off of uh, Brandon Longer's... Longer? Langer? Langer, Brandon Langer. Langer, uh, his original piece of, of Wim Radio music. BrandonLangerMusic.com. Uh, all right, thanks. <laughs> Justin's Justin's <laughs> home address is uh, 1600 <laughs> Avenue, and his social security number is 2584. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Look him up. It's It's out there. Next question. His underwear size. Hey, <laughs> um, Mantha, when are we gonna, when are we gonna bring them up? <laughs> Not anytime soon. Next year. Next year. <laughs> yeah, one of them will be on the team next year. Should we be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Sellers. You Stand should do both. Pat. No, you should do both. Do I want them to do what the Panthers did last year? They sold people, they sold players, and then they bought players. They didn't make the playoffs, but they did, they made good moves. Um, I think that they should maybe look into that because, uh, as I said before, the Red Wings aren't making a trade without dumping salary. They have to get rid of players like Quincy, they have to get rid of players like Helm. Uh, those guys got to go. Um, so uh, you're not making any trades happen unless you have a catastrophic injury, which we don't want, depending on who it is. <laughs> uh, wink, wink. <laughs> Eric um, But Yeah, but personally, I think there probably will be an injury and they will be able to get one player, maybe. Uh, or I think that maybe Ken Holland, because you, you think about it, Ken Holland hasn't really done anything lately that you've gone, all right, that was, that was pretty sick. I mean, I guess the Zidlitsky deal was a good deal because, you know, you didn't really give up much for him at all, but the coal trade was a disaster. I didn't like. I mean, you guys might feel different about it, but I I thought it sucked. Leguan trade, whatever. Um, I think that the only possible candidate I see is with with the Jets. So yeah, that's lame. Uh, I, think, I don't think that we should be nece- be buyers, be sellers. You know, make uh, make smart moves, and that should be regardless of whether you're at the trade deadline. I think we're in a case right now where the Red Wings definitely should not be renters. Exactly. I, I'm with you on that. They should not look into yeah. rentals. Yeah, that's, no that's the concern. Commit to one or the other. Either go in and you know pick up a guy who's going to uh, be around for at least a year or two, or just or stand pat. Honestly, stand pat. Cut some fat in the in the summer, and you know whatever. 
yeah i think i'm more mostly comfortable with just sitting still because i honestly i was so keen on it earlier in the year but i don't really want anything to do with dustin bufflin nope. i don't like him well and he's yeah, gonna get is, if you're gonna trade for him you have to commit to signing him yeah. I am not at all interested in giving assets to the Jets uh, to just have Dustin Bufflin around for a few months. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I want him around for longer than that. So He's a shithead. And he's he's going to test the market. You, just, you can just tell. I mean, he's going to be the premier defensive free agent. I mean, teams are going to line up for him. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't he test the market, right? Right. Katie 6 wants to know, do, any of the, do you look at any of the contending teams in the East and can honestly say they have a chance at beating any of the contending Contending teams in the West for the Cup? Yes. Yes. Washington. Washington can beat any team in the East right now. I don't care what anybody says. West. That team. That West, team, too. Uh, in the West. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think that this is their year. Um, yeah, to his credit, T.N. Caker Death also brought this up in the, the comment. Like, do you think anybody in the West could take on the Capitals? The Blackhawks are still strong. Yeah. Um, Dallas is better. The Kings are the Kings are very good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's going to be the it, like it's going to be the Hawks and Kings until somebody knocks them off. And uh, the thing about the West is it's top heavy. Yeah. Because once you get beyond that kind of that top four, the Pacific is garbage. So nobody from the Pacific outside of the Kings should even be mentioned as a team that should win a playoff series, let yeah. alone be a contender. Well, that's the NHL in in general. <laughs> right. Once you I get mean, away from the top, it's just kind of like okay. Yeah. I mean, in in the in the East, I mean, you have Washington, who's clearly the class of it. I'm still. I'm still waiting for Tampa to figure out whatever their issues are and become the team that everybody thought they were going to become. They're playing a little bit better lately. Um, Mon- Mont- if Montreal gets price back. They're going to be dangerous. I still think that they're fraudulent. I think they're. I think they're better than than they're than just being you know led by Carey Price. I don't. Um, I think they're probably a move a move or two away from being probably best team in the Atlantic. Florida's a joke. Florida's. No, I don't even really consider them a contender. I'd like to because I think that they have a really good team and they're architecting something really special there. But I just can't get into it just because I don't know. They they're just riding a super hot streak that is completely unsustainable. Like any team on a hot streak, um, I don't. I don't. I'm not sold. So yeah, I've got I've got basically I mean, the, it's, one it's, it's, Eastern what? Cup contender and three Western Cup contenders right now. Yep. Yeah. Sounds Pretty much. right. Yep. That's the easy way to go. Uh, Beer League Arbitration again. Unique rink attributes. Uh, it's always struck me as odd that the Joe has its lively boards and some, such a small gap between the benches. Uh, well, part of me likes these quirks, and another part of me thinks there should be tighter standards. Do you know of any other rinks that have similar quirks? Uh, he mentions Rexall Place in Edmonton with the uh, broadcast cameras on the wrong side. Um, oh, yeah. Any yeah. others that have features that affect the gameplay? Um, um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn has Garden. the weird yeah. hangover thing. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't built Madison for Square hockey. Garden. Doesn't Madison Square Garden have the the backup goalie sits like away yeah, from the bench, where yeah. like the Zamboni comes in? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean the old Boston Garden used to be smaller than all the other rinks. The glass in uh, oh, shit, was that in Montreal or in Boston where Charup killed Pacioretty right before that guy? That was him. in Montreal. That's, uh, that's a bit Um. It used to be like when they all, like I, I think that all the teams nowadays have pretty consistently changed all their glass to be the same. But I remember uh, not too long ago when it was they would talk about the different glass and the, you know the stanchionless stuff and how much one would hurt more than the other. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, 
not so much rink quirks, but the character of the ice in so many arenas being so different uh, has always struck me. Like, Edmonton gets credit for having really good ice, but I don't think they do. Um, Many of the Southern teams have choppy shit consistently, and you can see, like, I think the Ducks have specifically built themselves to be a choppy shit ice team, Mm -hmm. which works really well for them. Like, they don't... They're not afraid to to dump it around because the puck's going to bounce over your sticks anyway, so... Um, yeah, other than like some weird other quirks, it's, yeah, it's, it's how much the ice it handles the puck and it's, it's the springiness of the boards, but I don't think that, I think that Joe's just gotten legendary lively boards for the Red Wings have been really good there for a while. It's not like other arenas don't have boards where you can <clears throat> bounce it back it's, in it, front of the net. Yeah, that's an, I mean, that's an old uh, stadium, an old arena thing, right? Because I mean, there were, every old arena had their own little quirks, like the Chicago Stadium, where you had to walk up the ramp and up the steps to get up, uh, uh, up to the ice. And um, um, you know, I, I think these days th- th- you don't build hockey arenas anymore, right? I mean, these these arenas that are being built are multi-sport and multi-use facilities, so they, I don't think they can really deviate a whole lot from what they can do plus there are safety regulations like with seamless glass and stuff like that i mean i'm sure that they have to adhere to so yeah they're basically <clears throat> slowly brooding the quirks out yeah i think that one thing that many people uh forget and ignore is the color of the net like oh, the, yeah. the joe has the black net and then a lot of a lot of them have the white one i think that is uh Oh, you mean the know. safety net? Yeah, the safety net. Like, I'm I thinking think... like the the goals. I'm like that's what I thought you were talking about. Doing, like all the nets are the same, Kyle. What's wrong with you guys? No, the safety nets. Know. I'm sorry, but yeah, so I much. think that that might have a lot to do with deception and the way you look at the like you you look at the, like you know what's in front of you. Possibly might change things. Team Kickerdeath uh, mentions that Rafi Torres' suspension is up any day. Uh, is there still a place for him in this league? Why are we talking about this guy? No. Uh, no. Kicker Death asked. I know. I'm kidding. No. Don't be addicted to Team Kicker Death, Kyle. I'm not being addicted to him. I'm just saying. He or she's... <laughs> uh, how, many game, how many days do you give it before uh, Rafi Torres gets suspended again? One month. If that happens, then the NHL has been like, hurry, dude. Bye. If he, if he does something suspendable they're just going to kick him out and even if they don't even if they throw you know 41 games a year whatever at him nobody's going to take him after that yeah because there'll be a liability i don't know i i don't know i'm sure someone would well, maybe boston boston would take him <laughs> i'd show it it would be a huge story a team that wants to have an all-star captain it's true He'll be the next guy who he'll probably you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised i don't think that rafi torres is going to have his career ended by suspensions because I don't think the league is ever going to like truly kick a guy out mm-hmm. uh, he'll get another 41 game suspension if anything um, I think yeah, it's going to have to be that. yeah he's going to have to essentially be blacklisted by GMs who just don't want to deal with the liability of it all um, MD Row 12 wants to uh, sign one trade the rights and not sign college prospects Mike McKee, David Pope and James DeHaas uh, do you guys have any uh, opinion on this? You uh, sign, you sign De Haas. The other guys, I really don't care. So I guess you, you keep the rights of Pope and you you kick McKee because he seems to be just a big, big, big. Get rid of them all. That's right. McKee's like that, isn't he? Like six seven or something like that. He, some he, sort he's of... massive and he plays uh, like Western, right? Yeah, he was a defenseman and they've been playing him like a forward, and it's just yeah. not good. It's not working, and uh, Western isn't that good. So yeah, I get rid of him. 
but they don't have him. They don't have him signed to a contract, so he literally it doesn't matter. You're not getting anything out of him at all ever. So definitely not a Mickey Mouse. He's really big. Oh God, Damn it, JJ. <laughs> um, I didn't have any opinion on them, so I asked both Michelle and Joe, and they uh, they agreed with Kyle. You sign De Haas, and the other two are basically. It doesn't really matter which one you do. Um, <laughs> Michelle said trade McKee's rights and don't sign Pope. Um, Joseph, I don't think, no, he didn't say anything specifically. He just said they're interchangeable, so do whatever the hell you want with them. Um, I would get rid of Pope because Joe interviewed him and asked him my question, what does it feel like, uh, what's it like to outrank Ben Bishop? And he didn't get that joke. So. <laughs> you'll never get, you'll never like him because that of that. Yeah, I will always hate. I'll always hate David Pope for even if he comes to the NHL and is like a thirty goal scorer, you'll just be like, ah, whatever, fuck that guy. <laughs> you gotta figure, the guy's heard every Pope joke in the in the world since then. So, <laughs> yes, bet on DeHaas and kick McKee. Who cares? All right, uh, Eric at PRBU asks a loaded question that he already knows the answer to, but he wants to go ahead and ask it anyway. I really like him. Uh, are the young guys stepping up enough to replace aging Pavin Z? Should people be worried about this? Yeah. Outside of Larkin, I'm not sure anyone looks like they can take the reins from these guys. You know, I guess maybe there's a little bit of um, nostalgia coloring our view of Datsuk and Zetterberg, but I mean, Datsuk, I, I see a lot of uh, parallels with this, and I see Larkin as the Zetterberg, because Zetterberg kind of burst onto the scene and he was very strong immediately as a rookie whereas Datsuk I mean I remember in 06 we were talking about is Pavel Datsuk ever going to score a playoff goal like he had that reputation as a strong regular season performer who just could not get it done in the playoffs and then he kind of picked it up in 07 and started scoring some goals and then turned into Pavel Datsuk Mm -hmm. so I think it might be a little bit early to worry about is somebody going to replace Pavel Datsuk because I don't think you need to replace him. I think what you need to do is build a, a is build a new core. You start with Larkin. You've got I think you've got Tatar Nike in that core, and you've still got players to come. So you don't know what you have yet. Well, I, I think I mean when Pav and Z were rookies or second year players, the Wings really didn't have the depth in their of the prospect pool that they have now like i, no, I mean definitely you, not you other than larkin you, we might not have a superstar coming to the extent of those guys that those guys were but i think the depth of having more higher end guys if you want to include tatar nyquist ethanicu mantha i mean you, that could be five guys right there that you got to build with for the next 10 years you still you have, think, yeah if you think about it like a roulette wheel Back in the late '90s, the Red Wings were basically just putting all their money in on one number, and just and it hit a couple of times. And you know, I think it's kind of distorted this reality that oh, they're so great at drafting. It's like no, they're not. They had the ability to because in the late round, you're taking guys that are just talented. They're that's it. If they're talented and you take them in the fifth round or the sixth round, you're you're really taking a flyer on because they're not expected to be NHL players. But the Wings had the ability back than to develop those guys and not really worry about are they going to turn into NHL players? Turned out that they did kind of get a little bit lucky and they turned into two superstars. Um, now what they've done is 
they're they're spreading out their bets on that same roulette table. So yeah, maybe there isn't another superstar yet in the in the uh, in the system, but there are more guys that I think could step into an NHL lineup within the next one to three years and be positive contributors, and that'll make them a better team. Yeah, I agree with you guys. It's not necessarily that they're going to have a guy, a one guy that's as good as Dotsuk, but I think people think of like the golden age of when Dotsuk and Zetterberg were at their very prime and like want that to happen. But I, the 0708 Red Wings had, and even like the 0607, there were some shit forwards on that team. Absolutely. Uh, so if you can get guys that maybe aren't like as good as Dotsuk, then obviously you want guys that are as good as Datsuk, but I think that you can still equal that team by having more depth like you guys are talking about. So I don't know. Um, I'm worried, but I'm not panicked. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be more concerned about um, somebody stepping up and being an, an anchor on the defense than replacing Pat, Datsuk and Zetterberg. Yeah, we already have yeah, enough absolutely. of Um who in the Wings organization do you think uh, are viewed as tradable and who are, do you think are untouchable? Um, I'm going to start off with this, this one with, I think basically all the roster players are untouchable until I see Ken Holland trade a roster player again. It's been what, Jason Williams was the last regular roster player that Ken Holland traded off the team? We're not counting Mike Commodore because he was already like a scratch who begged his way out. We're not counting Patrick Eves because he basically had never played. The right. last guy who played like regular shifts for the Red Wings who got traded in the season was Jason Williams for Kyle Calder. Um, yeah, I don't. I I I, I agree with you on that. I don't. No think one's getting traded. Yeah, I don't think we see anybody get traded just because it just doesn't seem like Ken Holland's status quo lately. Yeah, I've kind of touched on this a bit, uh, but the Birdman wants to. Uh, why is Nyquist all in all the trade talk and Tatar in none of it? Because Tatar scored a goal the last few games. Well, I think it's a combination of, of that, um, but also I think people seem to feel like Nyquist would have a higher trade value than Tatar does, for whatever reason. Might be his contract. Well, that's yeah. I'm sure that's a part of it. You get, you get out of that contract. Although, again, going back to the previous question, when I mean, Ken Holland just signed him to this long extension. You think he's going to trade him now? No. Yeah. No, yeah, that's not, like I said, that's not Ken Holland's status quo. He's, Ken Holland is a very, like, he's a very prideful GM. Like, I mean, he takes so much pride in, in the players that he d- drafts and develops. Like, I don't know, like, in terms of, like, NHL players, of course. Not, like, Kelly Arncroft, who, you know, never could make the team and now is just, you know, whatever in Nashville. And, and like, Matthias Janmark, who started off really hot after the trade, like Yarncroft did, and now is just, you know, he's just a, he's just a decent depth player. So um, I think he just takes a lot of pride in that stuff. I don't know. That's just me speculating, of course, but I think that certainly has something to do with it. Um, I don't think he's going to trade Nyquist. I think he sees Nyquist as a true leadership, like a true future part of the core of leadership in this team. And I kind of do too. So, I mean, you know, whatever. I think the fans talk about trading Nyquist instead of Tatar because Tatar is more fun. Yes. Yeah. I think the fans don't want to trade Tatar off um, because, yeah, he's he always seems he has more fun when he scores goals. Yeah, mm-hmm. he seems to have more fun off the ice. He's just a he's a bigger personality, and so I I personally wouldn't want to see him traded as much as Nyquist for perhaps not good hockey reasons. Yeah. The Coyotes won. 
Yeah, like 11 seconds left to go in overtime. Did, it was did Domi, Domi score? Uh, no, it was Ackman Larson. Future Red Wing. <laughs> 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 yeah. That that's, is a guy, like, now... Since that's not happening. Now, that would be a guy that I would probably, you know, I would splooge on. Like, I would I would spend big time on him. Splurge. 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 splurge on him. Okay. I mean, I'd splooge <laughs> on him, him but not on him. <laughs> I mean, if he asks, I, I, look, I'll never turn anybody yeah. down, but... Fucking guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we got any questions left? We should probably wrap this up shortly. Uh, Actually, one, here. one came in uh, at the end here. Yeah, it's kind of funny. What kind <laughs> of difference about? outside of one with top two potential should they target? I I don't think anybody they should target that's not got top potential. They got there plenty are, of defensemen without top potential. Basically, the, the question boils down to should the Red Wings try for an offensive defenseman or a defensive defenseman? If you have to go for one or the other, which would you pick? <gasps> Defense. God, I don't know. Can we have like a, a solid two-way guy? <laughs> <laughs> can we just can just Nick Lidstrom come back? Yes. Can we do that? Is there any uh, question that at his age right now, Nick Lidstrom would step in and still be the best defenseman on the Red Wings? He'd be better than Cronwall and Eric. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if he'd be the best, but he would definitely be a top four. <laughs> we, could, we could have Lidstrom and DeKaiser right now as our top pair. Yeah, yeah that would be sexy. Although My answer I, is I would go for an offensive defenseman, honestly, um, because I think that in general offensive defensemen get derided as not being good at defense instead of they don't have to play as much defense because they always have the puck. Or defensive defensemen get propped up as this paragon of old glory days of the the battles in front of the net, and it's because they basically never have the damn puck. So give me the guy who has the puck more often. Give me an offensive defenseman. All right, great. Let's look ahead to the week that is ahead of us. No. No? No. Do we no. have more questions? No. No. No, then yes. Okay, I'm let's charge. Go. Uh, the Coyotes won in overtime as we were recording this, and the Red Wings play the Coyotes on Thursday night in Arizona, and then they're back home on Sunday against the Flyers on national television. Two games. What's the record? Graham. <sighs> One. Zero and one. They lose to Arizona in a shootout. Beat Philly in the home game. Coming back. JJ. Uh, I think they are going to take it to Arizona again, like they did the first time they played them. Uh, this is just going to be the year that they just dominate Arizona again. Um, and then the first game back from a road trip is always really tough. But I'm going to be at that Philly game, so they're going to look like crap, but pull the game off. It's going to. You're going to be in Detroit. Yeah. What the fuck? They didn't tell me that. Is a reason. I told you last year. <laughs> I, you last year. <laughs> I gotta remind you all the time. Yes. Anyways, um, yeah, <clears throat> uh, they're gonna win both games because uh, they're going to take it to Arizona, and they aren't playing the Flyers at Wells Fargo, so we'll be all right. Uh, they're gonna lose both because Domi's scoring a lot of goals apparently, and he's gonna show Larkin that he should win the Calder. And then they're going to lose to the Flyers because maybe I'll work for them one day. You are a terrible fan. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, great. Do you guys have any final hockey-related thoughts? You are a Not terrible now. fan. Just wet <laughs> fart on the end of the podcast. Yeah, good God. Well, you guys are being all positive. Someone had to bring a little negativity. Doing gloom horse shit. <laughs> Usually JJ has to yell at me for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just wait till 
Phoenix takes a one nothing or Arizona takes a one nothing lead on Thursday, and then you'll just want to die and tell us how <laughs> much every, how much we oh, suck. Do we suck? Trade everybody. Suck. We're why horrible. Do we suck? You fold the team. <laughs> Burn Joel and Serena to the ground. I never once said that. Don't want to get high expectations. <laughs> you yeah you don't, you yeah. don't want high expectations for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's gonna come into the chat and be like, "Told you guys." Yeah, exactly. All right, final hockey-related thoughts for real, because we are super heavy on this podcast, and Justin is not going to be pleased. Oh, man. I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is some fucked-up, repugnant shit. Great. All right, then for JJ and Graham and Kyle, it's been Winging It Motown Radio. See you next week, everybody. Winging it. Winging it. I'm winging it, Motown. Winging it. He ripped the handle off the Segway, turned it into a hoverboard, and now it caught fire. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, I'm struggling. The pipeline. Elliot Prude. <laughs>